Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash peptides. Thank you for joining me on the Save My Thyroid podcast, where I help people save their thyroid and regain their health. My name is Dr. Eric Osansky, and if you have hyperthyroidism, then you will especially benefit from these episodes. But if you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you will also find many of these episodes to be valuable, including this one, where I discuss glutathione and thyroid autoimmunity. I decided to put together this episode for a few reasons. First of all, glutathione is so important as it's considered to be the master antioxidant in the body. Second, it's something that has been mentioned in past episodes and will continue to be referred to in future episodes. And so I figured I'd put together this solo episode for anyone who wants to have a greater understanding about glutathione, how it relates to Graves' disease and Hashimoto's, as well as thyroid eye disease. And of course, I'll also discuss how to get glutathione from food and supplement sources. And so let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, visit SaveMyThyroid.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. Welcome back to the Save My Thyroid podcast. This is Dr. Eric Osansky, and in this episode, I am going to discuss what you need to know about glutathione and thyroid autoimmunity. So let's go ahead and start out by discussing what is glutathione. So glutathione is the master antioxidant, and it is made and recycled mainly in the liver. And glutathione is considered to be sticky due to the sulfur groups. So the way I've heard it being described is that it travels around the body kind of like a Swiffer mop and it sticks to harmful chemicals and eliminates them before they can do further damage. And also glutathione plays a role in maintaining healthy mitochondria. Mitochondria are the energy powerhouses of the cells. And I'm not going to get into great detail when it comes to mitochondria, but in episode number 54, I interviewed Laura Frontero as she chatted about the importance of mitochondria. So definitely check that out, and I'll make sure I include the link in the show notes. And so what causes glutathione to be depleted? There are numerous factors. Of course, environmental toxins. We live in a very toxic world, and we're bombarded by environmental toxins and medications. So especially acetaminophen, which is in Tylenol, that could quickly deplete glutathione levels. And of course, there's a time and place for medication such as acetaminophen. So I'm not saying never to take it, but a lot of people take it unnecessarily or just too quick to take this and other medications. And then there's other drugs, prescription over-the-counter drugs can cause glutathione to be depleted. Alcohol, you know, having a drink every now and then, an alcoholic beverage probably isn't a big deal, but drinking alcohol on a regular basis can cause lower glutathione levels. Again, getting back to the environmental toxins, the pollution in the water and the air can play a big role. And nutrient deficiencies. Nutrients are very important when it comes to having healthy glutathione levels. So if you're low in specific nutrients, that can also cause glutathione to be depleted. 
What I'd like to do is talk a little bit about glutathione and thyroid autoimmunity because that's the title of this episode. Autoimmunity is characterized by an increase in oxidative stress. And of course, this includes both Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. And taking antioxidants such as glutathione can help to decrease the oxidative stress. And it's not to say that everybody should be taking glutathione. And I'll talk more about supplementation, you know, as far as how to increase glutathione. But one way is by supplementing with glutathione. Also, it's important to understand that selenium is a cofactor of glutathione. This is one of the important nutrients I mentioned if you're deficient in selenium there's a good chance you'll be deficient in glutathione just because it is that cofactor. And when it comes to thyroid eye disease, there is research that shows that glutathione levels are significantly decreased in thyroid eye disease patients. So I wanted to mention that. And so if you have thyroid eye disease, you should do things to increase glutathione levels. And there's also research that shows that selenium can help with thyroid eye disease. So it's no coincidence that selenium is a cofactor for glutathione and selenium can benefit people with thyroid eye disease. Also can benefit people just with Graves' disease who don't have thyroid eye disease, as well as Hashimoto's. There's also evidence in the research that shows that selenium can help with the decrease in TPO antibodies, thyroid peroxidase antibodies. And TPO antibodies, very common in both Hashimoto's thyroiditis and Graves' disease. And it's not to say that if you take selenium by itself, it's going to normalize the TPO antibodies. And in some cases, it might not lower thyroid antibodies. But the way it does this is by reducing oxidative stress, by increasing those glutathione levels. And then also, we need to keep in mind that environmental toxins can also be a trigger. All this really ties into it. So I mentioned the impact of environmental toxins earlier they could directly be a trigger, but they also can cause glutathione to be depleted. So like I said, it's all related. And so let's go ahead and talk about some of the environmental toxins or toxicants removed by glutathione. So we have phthalates and parabens, benzene, as well as other VOCs, volatile organic compounds, pesticides and herbicides, flame retardants, PCBs, you know, and even fluoride is supposedly removed by glutathione. Heavy metals, mercury, arsenic, cadmium, lead, aluminum. All right, so next I'd like to briefly discuss testing for glutathione. There's a few different ways that you could test for glutathione. Unfortunately, even though you could test for it in the blood and do like a total glutathione test, It's not the best way. If someone does a blood test and if glutathione is low, then yeah, I guess I would suspect that they have low glutathione, but normal levels doesn't always rule out a deficiency. And then there's also an enzyme called gamma glutamyl transferase or GGT. So this is the enzyme that breaks down glutathione from the blood to allow its importation into the cells. This is a marker that I do commonly recommend. Unfortunately, most Conventional medical doctors won't recommend GGT, but it's something that I recommend to pretty much all my patients. It easily can be tested at regular labs, such as LabCorp, Quest Diagnostics, or a hospital or other labs. And so if this marker is elevated, it usually relates to glutathione deficiency. However, if it's normal, if GGT is normal, it does not necessarily rule out a glutathione deficiency. It's also worth mentioning that there's the lab range and optimal range. And I forgot what the lab range is, but I think in some cases it has to be over 60 for it to be considered to be elevated. 
But I like to see this level below 30 and below 20 would be even better. So I forgot what mine was recently. I think mine was, uh, I think it was either low 20s or upper teens. I've seen some people in single digits. But yeah, below 30 is ideal. And like I said, below 20, even better. Uh, Once it gets in the 30s and especially the 40s, even though it's within the lab range, I start getting concerned. There's also a marker called pyroglutamate, which you can find on an organic acids test, such as the one from Great Plains Laboratory. Also, the Dutch test, which is a dried urine test. They also have a little organic acid section and... On this, they test for pyroglutamate. So when it's elevated, that almost without question means that someone has a glutathione deficiency. So again, high pyroglutamate usually correlates with a glutathione deficiency. On the Dutch test, it says either high or low. So according to them, if it's on the lower side, it potentially could be glutathione deficiency as well. But with Great Plains, if it's elevated, it's glutathione deficiency, not if it's lower. So again, definitely a high Pyroglutamate means that you're almost definitely that you're glutathione deficient. If it's low, you might have a glutathione deficiency if it's below the reference range, at least according to the Dutch test from Precision Analytical Labs. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And if you're looking to do everything you can to save your thyroid gland, in addition to listening to this podcast, there are a few different ways we can help you. First of all, I've written a book on hyperthyroidism called Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves' Disease, as well as a book called Hashimoto's Triggers, which of course is on Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And you can find both of these on Amazon, as well as other websites where books are sold. Second, you could also join my Graves' Disease and Hashimoto's Healing Community by visiting autoimmunethyroidgroup.com. And finally, if you want to get personal help from me, you could visit the website workwithdrerick.com. Just to let you know, I only see a limited number of new patients each month, and I do require anyone interested to complete a brief online application before working with me. And now back to the show. And then I mentioned selenium. So selenium isn't a direct marker of glutathione. I mean, none of these are really direct markers that I mentioned other than the total glutathione. The GGT isn't really a direct marker and the pyroglutamate isn't really a direct marker. And RBC selenium is a cofactor of glutathione. So if it's low, there's a good chance someone will have lower glutathione levels. But again, it's not specific for glutathione. And so how can you increase glutathione levels? So one way is through the diet. You can eat sulfur-rich foods such as cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, kale, cauliflower, um, garlic, onions also are high in sulfur. And then other foods that are higher in glutathione include asparagus, avocados, cucumbers, green beans, spinach, whey protein isolate also can help with glutathione levels. Most of my patients are trying to avoid dairy, so they wouldn't be consuming whey protein. But I did want to mention it just because it it can still increase glutathione levels. And exercise, you know, doing regular exercise can also increase glutathione levels. And then there's some evidence, when I say evidence, not necessarily in the research, some practitioners talk about coffee enemas increasing glutathione levels. And coffee enemas definitely have some benefit. I can't say I do coffee enemas 
or recommend them regularly to my patients. But I have had over the years patients who have done coffee enemas and most of them have spoken highly about them. I know they use them in Gerson therapy, which is a treatment for cancer and other practitioners use them. So again, that potentially can increase glutathione. And then of course, if you get IV glutathione, you know, that will definitely help to increase glutathione levels. And then supplements that increase glutathione. So there's NAC. I really do like NAC, which is N-acetylcysteine, or some call it NAC. So that's a precursor to glutathione. And then you could take a glutathione supplement. There's acetylated glutathione, uh, liposomal glutathione I like a lot. Now, there's L-glutathione or reduced glutathione, and, and that could help, but just doesn't seem to be as effective as taking liposomal glutathione or acetylated glutathione. Honestly, I'd rather give NAC than have someone take the reduced glutathione. Arguably, liposomal glutathione, acetylated glutathione might be better than NAC, but it's also a lot more expensive. NAC is usually pretty cost-effective. There is some evidence in the research that shows that curcumin can help to increase glutathione levels. And then I mentioned selenium, which is the cofactor for glutathione production. So selenium could help. And then, you know, I attended a conference a number of years ago that mentioned bacteria, a probiotic lactobacillus fermentum ME3 can help increase glutathione levels. Now, I can't say I recommend that just because it doesn't mean that someone has to take everything that can increase glutathione levels, but I figured I'd bring it up here. Vitamin C and vitamin E can increase glutathione and vitamin C helps with the recycling of glutathione. Milk thistle, so I can't forget about milk thistle. So milk thistle, also known as silymarin, that helps with the endogenous production of glutathione. So it helps the body produce its own glutathione, unlike taking glutathione, like a liposomal glutathione, you're actually taking glutathione, but milk thistle helps your body produce its own glutathione. And then um, alpha-lipoic acid also can help with glutathione production. So that's pretty much what I wanted to discuss. And, you know, let me go ahead and give a summary here. Glutathione is the master antioxidant, and many factors can cause glutathione to be depleted, including environmental toxins, certain drugs, drinking alcohol on a regular basis, nutrient deficiencies such as selenium. Um, also, didn't mention magnesium also could play a role, certain amino acids, so cysteine, which is why N-acetylcysteine and glycine is important. So there were some that I didn't mention, but again, those nutrient deficiencies. And then autoimmunity, I mentioned, is characterized by increased oxidative stress. Once again, this includes both Graves' disease and Hashimoto's, as well as other autoimmune conditions. And so when it comes to thyroid eye disease, research shows that glutathione levels are significantly decreased in these patients. Of course, you want to try to do things to increase the levels. And selenium alone could do it, even though it's not giving glutathione directly, which also is an option. But again, there's Definitely some research shown that selenium can benefit thyroid eye disease patients, and it's by increasing that glutathione. And glutathione helps to remove many toxicants from the body. And again, you can increase glutathione both through food. I mentioned the sulfur-rich foods, such as cruciferous vegetables, as well as garlic, onions, and then a few others I mentioned, and then taking supplements. So again, NAC is one of my favorites, although I also like to recommend at times a liposomal glutathione, sometimes acetylated glutathione, and I mentioned selenium. So this pretty much wraps up my presentation on glutathione. I hope you found this episode to be super valuable, and I look forward to catching you in the next episode. 
Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.